Thank you for joining us. This is the Auto Guide Show brought to you by eBay Motors. I'm Mike. And I'm Kyle. This week we have a lot in store. We'll start with a crazy Chrysler concept. Kyle drives a little Italian. Canada picks their favorite cars of the year. And we talk to Cadillac about my personal favorite car currently on sale. But first, a word from our sponsor. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a driveway entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with the eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, so let's get into it. So on uh, okay, Monday, Tuesday? I can't remember. Earlier this week, Chrysler dropped the new Halcyon concept car. Uh, I think it's important for three things. One, it's another Chrysler product because they only have a minivan right now with a 300 dead. Two, it's a car, not an SUV, which is nice. I mean, doesn't mean they're going to make a car. And of course, it's an EV, but we don't know power, battery, motors, anything. It's just, yeah. They did, though, make sure they pointed out that it would be capable of being charged by the road as it drives if the road had the charging pad built in, which, I mean, we've heard about for like decades and that's mm-hmm. never going to happen. Well, it could happen on like maybe here and there, but we're not going to have just electrified roads all through North America. Um, It'll happen in the Bay Area where the weather is the same for 300 days a year and that's it. Yeah, like here in Toronto or Detroit, I can't imagine Frosty just breaking the, the circuit and people getting electrocuted <laughs> driving to work. Yeah, there's a, a lot of things that could happen. So mm-hmm. it, it is a four-seater and I mean... Go to the article uh, at autoguide.com to see more photos. It stores open, you know, like the old RX-8 or the Ion Coupe or even like a Rolls-Royce where the back opens opposite of the front. It's pillarless. Because it's so low to the ground, there's a flap that pops up so people can get in and out. Um, So it looks cool when everything's open. And the interior has some cool ideas. Like it's got a big bubble glass because there's no motor or engine up front. So it goes way down to like almost your knees. So you you get a, a great view. And that whole glass is a head-up display as well. So being that it's also, you know, autonomous, like every concept car is, um, if you don't want to drive, you push a button, your steering wheel and your pedals fold away and you can, the back seats will fold into the trunk and the front seats can then go all the way to the back. So you have like a big lounger and then you can like have um, all the constellations on your windscreen at night. So when you're looking out, it's like augmented reality. So you can see where they are and, there's other augmented reality things when you drive up to like mountain passes and whatnot. Okay, so it would tell you it it would tell you what you're looking at in terms of the stars. Yeah, like on the windscreen, it has the the outline picture, so you know like where it is and what it's. Yeah, like they have in the video. I mean, it's a cool idea, and I'm sure it'll come. And like the glass, um, you know, like in modern jets or even for homes, you push a button and they can go opaque and or clear, so it could do yep. that for you. And then you push a button, your wheel and pedals come up. Like a lot of cool ideas. The the 15, I think, 0.6 inch center screen can also turn. So you can either have portrait or landscape, depending on how you want it. And then another button, it could just disappear. So, I mean, it's a lot of cool ideas. Are we going to see them? Maybe like 1%, but it's at least showing that Chrysler still cares about maybe cars and style, but we'll see. 
Yeah, and I appreciate that we are getting ever closer to the cars in Demolition Man because that movie is set in I think 2032. So we're 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 almost there. Yeah. So then we'll have the Jetsons uh, space pods. Yes. So moving on, um, you drove the Tenali, which I've already driven, so we can both talk about it. Yes, and that's your picture because mine is the really excellent green, uh, which is pricey, but. I got so many compliments on it, and it's easy to forget as journalists, oh, it's the Dodge Hornet, it's the same thing. Most people don't know that because both of these vehicles are new, and they see the Alpha with the telephone dial wheels and the really nice paint, and they just say it's a good-looking little SUV. Yeah, I haven't driven a Dart. I know, uh, sorry, Hornet. Uh, <laughs> I know you have, so I can't compare. But yeah, like it felt like the little premium SUVs, like the BMW X2s and, you know, like the that class i didn't get the green because i was late getting to the the fleet and all the good colors were taken so i just went with alpha red but yeah it's uh it's not like groundbreakingly different but it's not bad either and the fact it's a plug-in and you get a lot of power will be a, a big plus like around here that's great you get your green plate and you get to drive in the high occupants lanes and yeah it's true and i found it I mean, when, when you have a high charge, it works pretty much as you'd expect, and it's pretty fun. It has a really quick steering. I think it's something like 2.3 turns lock to lock. Oh, wow. So it's it's really agile, and it feels fun. And there's, of course, being an alpha four-cylinder, a pretty good uh, soundtrack, too. But there are some weird issues, um, like the 4xe powertrains in Jeeps, where if I was foot to the floor and it was in electric mode, it would sometimes take a second or two for the engine to kick in. So you've put your foot down expecting the combined amount of power, and you're only getting EV for a second or two. Uh, so that was a little disappointing and feels like it could be refined a bit. Um, but the paddle shifters are great. Uh, space is OK. It's it's a little on the small side, but it's that, that's OK. I think the tougher thing that the Tenale is going to have to overcome is just the sheer price of the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's got the alpha starter button now, so maybe that's worth the, the cost. At least a few grand, yeah. maybe. <laughs> so next, uh, Chicago Auto Show was last week. Um, so we talked about some of the cars that were debut, but we had someone there, Lee Bailey, and um, he got some hands-on on the different vehicles. So we'll start with the Kia Carnival, which is not a minivan, even though it's a minivan. But no, neither the US or Canada will call it. They both have different names for it, which is interesting too. But when we did a comparison with it and the uh, Paci uh, yeah, Pacifica, right? Is that what yes, the road trip yeah. edition. Yes, and we've the Pacifica, we've deemed the better vehicle. And the biggest drawbacks to the Carnival was the interior. And it didn't have anything but the V6. There's no hybrid or optional powertrain. So the new model, they've addressed both those things. I can't wait to get in one to see how the interior looks because they really made a big deal about it and the photos look nice. I actually really like the exterior updates too. It looks more like their SUV family now. And having a hybrid, I think, is a, a big deal. Yeah, you're going to lose a little power, but like these aren't race cars. So losing yeah. like 20 horsepower to gain you know, maybe 50% better fuel economy, it's more than worth the trade-off. Absolutely, yeah. I really like this hybrid powertrain that's in pretty much all the Korean models <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's not as efficient as the equivalent one in a Toyota, in, in all the cars that are comparable between classes. So I don't expect this to be as fuel efficient as a Sienna. But on the flip side, it probably has better road manners. And like you said, the styling updates look 
excellent. Like th this might be my favorite looking of the uh, MPVs, or maybe if Canada sticks with its old tagline, uh, the LPV or LUV. LUV, the love. Yeah, yeah, the love. The love. Um, you just brought up a good point. Uh, as soon as it's around, I guess we have to compare it to a CNX because that is its direct competitor. And when we drove a RAV4 hybrid against uh, the Tucson hybrid and the uh, Sportage hybrid, Sportage, sorry, the Sportage. Um, the Toyota was better on gas. It felt more powerful, but the other two felt better in every other way. So I wonder if it translates to the vans as well. Mm -hmm. So while he was there, he also got us a story on the new Ford Explorer. Uh, it's not really new. It's a big update, but keeping the same engine. So you, you get the, the Turbo 4, the Turbo 6. It makes either 300 horsepower or 400 horsepower, which um, it's something sort of unique in the mainstream of this category. It's also a rear-wheel drive bias all-wheel drive system on the platform it's built on, which is also kind of unique. So Ford's kind of mm -hmm. straddling between, you know, the, the pilots and the Highlanders, and then they're like Grand Cherokees of the world. So it's it's an interesting sort of combo. Um, I It's been a long time since I drove an Explorer, so I'm looking forward to trying this one out. Yeah, I drove uh, the four-cylinder briefly a few years ago, and it was okay. Um, I feel like, I mean, I also had it loaded up. I was driving it uh, during a bachelor party weekend. And so we had it completely full of stuff and people, uh, which kind of slowed it down as you'd expect. And it was a mid-trim model. So the materials weren't exactly where I would expect given uh, the price. But like you said, it's it's more truckish and, and toes pretty nicely versus a lot of the mainstream ones. So if this builds on those strengths and no longer has all those... Uh, recall issues that the Explorer suffered when it first debuted. Yeah, it could be a, a nice, strong competitor in a really tough segment. And if you have the four-cylinder, even though they're not the same, you could go around saying, oh, this is like the, the Turbo and the Mustang and the old Focus RS. It's, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's not, exactly. But... <laughs> All right. And uh, the last story of the week is the Bridgestone driving winter driving academy that i attended i we talked about it briefly last week so it's a seaboat springs and it's pretty cool because it's not just for media it's for anybody that wants to sign up and what i found interesting is they'll take anyone that has at least a learner's permit so they have um families that'll bring their like some states it's 14 15 most states 16 year olds there that live in snowy areas to learn how to slide and skid because it's not just you know, going around some pylons and just having fun. They have modules built into the cars to disable traction stability and even ABS. So you learn in it without the ABS how to pump the brake, which, I mean, no modern car has that, but it keeps making the car lock up and slide. So you're learning how to correct slides a lot as you're going straight. Um, and someone who's not used to driving on the snow, it'd be a big deal. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I've driven cars without any aids, including ABS, when I started driving. So... I was somewhat used to it, but there's still a lot to learn. And then we did a really, really low speed um, circles. It's like a skid pad, but it goes up and down a hill and there's ice at the bottom. And the whole goal was to try to, in the icy part, get the back of the forerunner to rotate with just weight transfer and then get on the gas at the right point to keep it kind of going and get up the hill. So you didn't want to do a big spin out or a big drift. And you also didn't want to plow into the front. Um, and we're going like 10 to 15 miles an hour. It's so weird and slow because you can't sort of mask your your inputs. It's you're on display if you don't do it right or if you do it right. So yeah, yeah, it's a it's a cool school. I think people should check it out. Yeah, I watched uh, your little snippets of video because I was on another trip while you were doing it, and yeah, it looks 
impressive. And it's like you said, it's really great to get people to learn because it's a safe environment. And it's something that all of us who live with snow regularly have to deal with at one time or another. Yeah. And, and us being media, they did a little extra for us at the end. They, uh, like we did the, the Blizzax, which is like their winter tire, but then they brought out their weather peak, which is their all weather tire. Um, and I'm actually driving a different manufacturer's all weather tire on my car. So I, the, the first sort of wave of these tires were like not that great, but every mm -hmm. time I drive a new all weather tire, I'm getting more and more impressed. It's still not as good as a Blizzax. Like you could feel the difference, but the, the, the amount of decrease isn't that great. And if you don't live in an area that's constant snow, or if you're someone that just won't go out in a storm anyway, it probably is going to be a good enough tire, assuming it lives up in the summer. But mm -hmm. then at the end, they had us drive the Potenza high performance all seasons against uh, the Continental Contact Sport. And I couldn't believe the sideways, like lateral grip that the Potenza's got in the snow. I mean, start accelerating and braking, it's an all season. And the Continental felt like an all season, but they, yeah, it's got really crazy side bites so i mean if you live in like i don't know like let's say so like nashville maybe where you might get some a little bit of snow once a year that's, that's not a bad choice yeah interesting all right so we're going to move on now to the news okay welcome back so the news the big story at least for us locally is um the canadian car of the year award was given out which is run by ajac that kyle and i are both members and voting members i think uh I think some of it we got really right and some of it I'm just curious what some of our colleagues were voting but I think the formula that they went to is much better and it's not like years past where some of the winners you're just like what like how did that work <laughs> I mean so in this one starting like the Prius one car of the year that is the car of the year there's nothing out there that looks as good drives as well and is so efficient and still somewhat practical like it's just mm -hmm. I did such a good job and even with the e all-wheel drive it's also sort of an all season, all climates car to a degree. I mean, you drove one way up to <laughs> the middle of nowhere last two weeks ago. So, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm right with you there. The Prius was not my highest ranked car personally because I loved the Integra Type S, but it barely scored better. And I acknowledge right away that the Prius is definitely the right choice because it's a lot more relevant to more people than a 300 and uh something horsepower front drive hot hatch <laughs> yeah i actually tried to get a, a type r uh this week because the new snow was coming but it didn't work and we'll get more into what i got but yeah like i just think of it like siblings and parents like any of them could buy a prius none of them are buying a, a type s as much as i love that car too so yeah, yeah. and then the grand highlander one suv which it's not my personal favorite in that segment but the drivetrain the space uh, i get it like it's it's a very good consumer car yeah, I think it, it does something that Toyota has done very well for a long time, which is be good in pretty much everything and not have too many glaring weaknesses, right? And that's what the Highlander does. It fixes the main problem with the regular Highlander by having a much more livable third row. It has two different hybrid powertrains, so you can get pretty good gas efficiency, even though you've got this enormous vehicle. It's easy to drive. It's, it's comfortable. The higher trims have pretty nice trim stuff inside and, and a good amount of toys. Yeah, I... I know what you're saying, but yeah, I, I have no problems with this winning. It's funny. Right before the award started, I was at the ceremony and I was talking to another OEM and some other car reviewers and journalists and we're chatting. And what you said actually is almost word for what they said. They said that you get the score sheet and you know, like that OEM and other OEMs are amazing at something. 
but they kind of falter at other places or they're just average or maybe even just a little above average. Whereas Toyota from top to bottom are never at the front, but they're never even average. They're always just good, 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 good. Like they just put it all together and then the, the pricing and, and fuel economy, like everything. So yeah, mm -hmm. when you add up subjective scores as opposed to objective, it's <laughs> usually on top. Yeah. Um, and then the other two winners, which were both for electric vehicles, came from the same manufacturer too, which is unusual. So Genesis got the electrified G80 and the electrified GV70, one car and utility vehicle. And they're both fantastic vehicles. I was surprised they won compared to what they're up against, but it's just a testament to how well Genesis converted gas cars to fully electric. Yes, yeah, and and you and I were talking just before the show about how uh, this seems to be a trend now for, for Ajax because last year, car of the year overall was the BMW i4, another vehicle that came as a gas form originally and then has an EV version, and, and we all love it, everyone who's driven one. Um, I, I very much like both of these Genesis models. I'm just surprised that they won, like you said, because the Ionic 6 was also a finalist from Hyundai, and that's a really great driving EV that is, well, a little more approachable in price than the G80. And electrified GV70, also fantastic, and in my mind, the best version of the GV70, but it was up against the Kia EV9, which has just been, you know, getting attention everywhere. So um, yeah, props to Genesis for winning. I, they are not bad cars. If Genesis is listening or anyone who thinks that we're being critical of it, we're not. I'm just, I'm surprised at the voting, but there were really good finalists across the board here. Yeah, I was actually standing beside Genesis when they won both and they were ecstatic. Because um, we all thought when the Prius won car of the year, the Prius Prime was up against the G80 because um, plugins of a certain distance before they need to be charged qualify for that so we all were like well the, the prime's gonna win because it's the same car just even more efficient but yeah it didn't so yeah all right so um the rest of the news just sort of little things so we got a little bit of pricing updates on the equinox ev uh no real surprise we knew that it wasn't going to be the thirty thousand dollar car anymore but this is sort of not confirmation it will start at the 35 which is still pretty low for uh, any ev never mind you know uh a compact to midsize-ish one and the the single motor still gets pretty good range so yeah this could be sort of the trend of getting more practical mainstream offerings out there yeah i'm good with that uh rivian on the topic of evs they it looks like they cut prices but they didn't they just created new entry-level models for both the truck and the SUV, which is good by them. They just took some content out and gave people what they want to make it a little more affordable. And then mm -hmm. we said last week, they have a whole new submodel coming. They'll be even lower. So I think they're just trying to fill the gap and, you know, they got their name as the super high-end, crazy powerful EV maker. And now they're making more practical stuff. Yes. And if you want an EV truck that doesn't rust in the rain, then you can always still get a Rivian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, moving on to something that burns a lot of fuel, the Vantage got its update and, um, I quite like it. I always have liked the Aston styling since like the original DB7 in the nineties, because it's been that same sort of language, but here <laughs> the little slits in the grill and the way the, the actual sort of mouth and grill has levels to it, it, it works really well. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a departure. It kind of looks like a face, but I, I, I like it. And I mean... The engines are always fantastic so yeah i mean you can't go wrong with a mercedes v8 
sorry, Mercedes sourced. Although that's the the wild thing here, right? Is they've added over a, a hundred horsepower, and yeah, I, I mean, it, I'm I'm great with it. And like you said, I've been a fan of Aston since I was a kid because of the styling, and I feel like this facelift has really brought back some of the early aughts styling, but modernized mm-hmm. it because the when the Vantage launched, it was such a radical departure from the family styling cues. I think they are maybe the number one car that photos don't do it justice. Photos make it look like it's just a cool car, or like a, a good looking car, but regular. And then when you see it in person, the proportions and the shape, like it's very curved and like, yeah, it, it looks so much more, more presence and uh, imposing when you see it in person. Absolutely. And then our final story has to do with BMW. So there was a event last week that um, someone might've been at and uh, some sources overheard that the BMW M5 wagon could be coming to North America, um, which probably isn't true, but uh, I mean, I'd love it to, but not holding my breath. Yeah, I, uh, as Mike alluded, I was at that event and I was at the table when the conversation happened that has been talked about a lot in the last few days. And so I'm going to be fairly careful with my word choice here. (laughs) But from my understanding, how I got it the next day, it's not that it's being confirmed that it's coming. It's just that the next M5, which we know is a thing, and we know that an M5 Touring is a thing, uh, BMW has homologated the models so that they could be available in North America, but there hasn't been a decision one way or the other on if the wagon will actually come here. I know that there's been spy shots where uh, the wagon has been driving around in North America, but that doesn't mean that it's coming there, right? Like, yeah. I mean, a lot of manufacturers test their cars in Death Valley for heat reasons. It doesn't mean that they're going to sell them there. Yeah, and they go to Northern Michigan in the winter for snow. It doesn't mean they're going to be there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I don't think it'll come here, especially with all the high performance SUVs. But just the sedan, which we will get, I'm really looking forward to because he put the XM drivetrain into something much smaller and lighter. Should be fantastic. But we'll have yeah. to wait and see, I guess. Yes. All right. So that's it for the news. Uh, I was at the Toronto Auto Show, which we'll talk a bit about more in detail later. And I got a chance to sit down with Cadillac to talk about the. A heavily refreshed CT5V Blackwing. So we'll go to that um, after word from our sponsor. This is the Auto Guide Show brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Do you remember your first car? I sure do. I was fresh out of university and I wanted nothing more than a car. So I went to some dealers with two things in mind. I wanted a Tudor coupe and I wanted a manual transmission. After looking around, I finally ended up with a 2003 Oldsmobile Alero coupe with a five-speed manual and a four-cylinder engine. A lot of people didn't understand why I bought that car, but I loved it. I would take it everywhere. I also wanted to modify it. I put a lot of parts on that didn't work. I put on some wheels and they ended up ripping apart my rear brakes and I had to get rid of them. My intake, my exhaust, my suspension, and some interior bits were all custom made. It would have helped so much if there was some sort of way that I could get guaranteed parts for my car back then. Another thing I loved to do with the car was I would take it drag racing. I do low 15 seconds and thought I was so fast, which I wasn't. But you know what? I was having a blast and I was getting to run the car harder than I was allowed to on the street. I also went to a lot of charity car shows, road trips, and weeks up at the cottage. I had the car for almost two years until one day it was written off in a snowstorm in Detroit by a mail truck. It was a sad day and I really missed that car. 
One day, maybe I'll get another Alero, but for now, I'll just have good memories of this car and how much fun I had with it. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with the eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. So welcome, we are at the Toronto International Auto Show and I am here with Alex McDonald from Cadillac. Welcome. Thank you. Um, so if you could just tell us what your title is at Cadillac and exactly what it is, um, just so our, our viewers know and listeners. Sure, uh, I'm a Chief Engineer, Vehicle Chief Engineer for the CT4 and CT5. All right. The title. Yep. Yeah, no, that's pretty fun. I, yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, the CT5. It's uh, it's not a secret. I um, I had the Blackwing about two years ago and absolutely loved it. Still yeah. think about it a lot. Yeah. So that brings me sort of my first question. With the um, the sort of refresh redesign, was the plan always to keep the Blackwing in the lineup? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it's a beloved product. Uh, I I personally own one. Nice. Uh, I should say my wife personally owns one. <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, there was never a discussion about um, that not continuing. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah I, uh, when I had it, I mean, I, I have a family, just a son and, and a little dog, and it was just the perfect for yes. what I like because I got the, the V8 sound, the manual transmission, yep. but it's kind of unsuspecting from the outside. Right. It's very luxurious. Put it in comfort mode. You know, the family doesn't complain. Yep. So. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So uh, speaking of the manual, the take rate we heard in the last presentation is very high, over very high. 50%, yes. I believe. Yep. Was there ever any consideration to bring the manual down the lineup a bit more, like in the regular V model? Oh, interesting. No, um, I, I think uh, it um, it fits really well, and I think it's a high take rate with the Blackwing customer. Uh, I think as we look at other products with manual transmissions, um, it it doesn't bear out that way uh, okay. much of the time. So the Blackwing really is a nice place to put the manual, keep the take rate high, yeah. put it in the hands of customers who are really excited about it. So like the V probably is a slightly different customer that's yeah. buying that as opposed right. to a V Blackwing. Yep, yeah, the, the V is a very balanced car. Uh, it um, offers all-wheel drive. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, lot of um, things that round out the V uh, in, in ways that uh, work really well with the 10-speed automatic. Yeah. So this is a, a little on topic with the Blackwing a little off. Um, Kyle Patrick, who I work with, we had a discussion on a previous podcast as what will be the last V8 as people are sort of thinking yeah. about. Right. So um, my guess would be the GM small block because it's used in so many products and it's sort of core to the company. Yeah. Uh, I know Cadillac must go electrified by 2030, so maybe it won't be in a Cadillac to the end, but do you think that's a, an engine that can make it to the end compared to say a Ford or a Mercedes? I or, mean, it's my favorite engine in the world, yeah. so I, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a great engine. It's got a huge history, like you say, it's huge volume. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's used in a lot of products, which is what I like. Um, yeah. I've, you can't replicate the sound of that engine. So. Yeah. And for me, the small block, uh, it's especially the supercharged 6.2 in this car. Uh, people talk about horsepower per liter. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. I want horsepower per size of the box the engine fits in. And nothing is is remotely close to the, to the small block. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a, even a discussion. Yeah, if, if horsepower per cubic inch of engine, which is what we care about, and maybe per, per, per uh, fuel economy or per any of these things, the small block is just dominant. Uh, it yeah. uses displacement to get there, but that's the right answer. It has uh, AFM, so you've got four-cylinder mode uh, to gain the efficiency. Like, it's just a brilliant package. There's a reason, like, the jokes 
LS LS everything, right? Because yeah, exactly. yeah it, it fits because yeah. it is a smaller package. Yep. You know, people yep. say I'll oh, push rod this and that, but right. yeah, that packaging that, that, makes that's it, the right answer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every engineering choice is a compromise, and I think the compromises around push rods in particular are often definitely the right ones. Uh, yeah, and the small block just bears that out. Yeah. So um, with the CT5 and the CT4, they're nearly the last sedans left in the GM lineup. I mean, there's there's one still kicking around, but is there a reason why? a luxury buyer still prefers a sedan, say, over a mainstream buyer that's kind of abandoned the segment? Yeah, I think um, I think the luxury and sport buyer, uh, there are things around ride and handling uh, that you just can't get in anything taller than a sedan. Mm -hmm. Every time you move the CG up, uh, physics says you're not going to get all the way to that level of ride and handling balance. Uh, and so with Cadillac, with isolated precision, the idea of having your good ride and your incredible handling, that's enabled by a low sedan shape. Uh, aerodynamics are better. Um, so I think we're finding the home where, you know, our, our CT5 volumes this year are, are spectacular. Uh, yeah. They're really, really good. Um, so I think we've found where that sedan, where those attributes matter to a luxury performance buyer uh, fits really well. And, and that's, yeah. that's where we're, we're finding success. So I might be wrong on this, but the CT5 um, sales is actually picking up momentum, yes. correct? Yeah, yeah absolutely, uh, to, to a good degree. Um, so that's why I think, like I said, I think we've found that spot where these attributes really matter to this customer, uh, and they just won't find this experience in anything taller than a sedan. All right, yeah. so um, kind of continuing with this sedan idea and the sports um, theme, with everyone kind of going to EV, there's always the question, how do you keep the performance and excitement alive? And I know some manufacturers are making sort of simulated manuals and others are mm. using sound. Is there anything that Cadillac's looking at that they can use to you know, enhance the driving experience on electric cars? Um, we, we do, uh, you know, in the, in the Lyric, uh, there's um, enhanced sound and those kinds of things. So we certainly are in that technology in our EV space. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, um, we look to folks, again, I joined this program after this car was fully formed. Okay. Uh, so I, I, number one, I get to brag about it yeah. uh, with a little bit shamelessly, but um, also all that experience stays in Cadillac. So I think uh, as you look at who's doing the cars, who's developing the technologies, uh, we get the right people looking at the right aspects for excitement like the Blackwing. Yeah. All right, great. Well, thank you for your time. Yeah. Um, this has been insightful and uh, we'll go back to Kyle and I talking about the news. All right, welcome back. Um, as you may have been able to tell during that interview, I'm pretty excited for the new model. It's been two years since I drove one. And I still think about it almost daily. That's um, true. He talks about it on a regular basis. Hoping that they become not future classic collectors. I'm almost certain they will be, and I could get one affordably used in a couple of years, but we'll wait and see. All right, so now we're going to move on to what would normally be viewer listener questions, but this week we didn't really get any questions. We got a lot of rants. So we'll start with that. Uh, people are really writing off the CX-70 because it's a CX-90-based vehicle without the third row without anyone having even really much sat in it. Like there's a handful of people at the auto show. Never mind, no one's driven it. So I'll hold my thoughts till then. I mean, lighter, maybe better weight balance. Maybe they've done something different to the suspension or even the transmission tuning. Like, if it is just a CX-90 without a third row, I was like, okay, maybe it didn't need an, its own name. But the the rants about how it should have been a 60 or it should have been 60 based and stretched, I mean, it is 60 based. The 60 and the 90 are on the same platform. It's just one of the modular ones that can change size. So it's not like there's some other magical platform that Mazda's keeping in Europe. It's They just made 
a CX-50 sized vehicle for Europe called the, sorry, CX, yeah, 50 sized vehicle called the 60. It's, there's a one inch difference in overall length. So I can see why you didn't want the 60 and then they made the 70. I mean, would I have preferred more coupish shape and in between the two in size? Yeah, but it is. I, I, I mean, that moment there when you were trying to figure out exactly which one was which kind of proves the the rant's true at least somewhat, right? Like this this is a little confusing in terms of naming conventions. Um, but like you said, we don't know what's being done with the suspension tuning or the transmission or, or anything like that. And so, and, and Mazda, that's a brand that really does care about those sorts of things. Look at how many yearly tweaks they make to the Miata, just kind of playing with it and adjusting. So I'm excited to see how they change this. And I'm really hoping that there is a noticeable difference behind the wheel because that will help justify this new model. Yeah, and sticking with the naming, how the 60 and the 50 are almost the same size. Like maybe they should call it the 80 and like the, the even number, sort of like how BMW does even odds. The evens could have been like the the sportier, less practical cars and the odds could be the like family oriented. But anyway, we'll yeah. wait and see. I'm, I uh, I get it. I mean, I well, have been a fan of brands and cars and thought it was completely ruined when I first saw it. And sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. So yeah, we'll, we'll wait till we drive it. Yeah. So since that's the only real comment we had many times, um, I have a question that uh, people brought up on a recent trip, and it's, what's your biggest automotive regret? Now, since you don't have any advance warning, I'll go first. Okay. So, I mean, I have quite a few, um, you know, time and place. You're like, you didn't buy a car, you did buy a car, you didn't go on a trip or you did. Um, but my number one, I think, has to do with this this poster back here uh, is my SVX. I, I bought a 97 SVX in I think it was 20, 2012 and it was amazing. Like it was owned by one owner and it was a summer car and he was an older gentleman who didn't drive much anymore. So it had like 70,000 kilometers. So that's like 45,000 miles. Um, there was no rust, which is a huge deal on those cars because their quarter panels rust. The clear coat was coming off the spoiler and places in the roof, but that's an easy fix. The only real issue was there's a hole in the um, air conditioner condenser tank so i'd have to replace that um inside it was immaculate the suede and the brown and all that all the it was 97 so i don't have to worry about the stupid power seat belt um, mm -hmm. all the buttons were like the power button and it had a cd player replacing the old tape deck um so yeah i ended up selling it after like four months because i got a crazy deal on a 1990 miata that had 300,000 kilometers but it had been repainted, new top, and it was like a third the price of the SVX. So I bought that and just flipped the SVX. And then I had a lot of fun in the Miata over the years, but I want the SVX back more than that. So it's almost mm -hmm. like I kind of wish I never ran into that Miata as much as I enjoyed it because I'd probably still have that SVX or would have eventually probably taken off the road and put it in, into summer duty like he did. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's not a good car. Like <laughs> there's a lot of compromises, but it was just quirky and cool. Like drive throughs were impossible in that car with its half window <laughs> there was no headroom for anybody the back seat was pointless but it was still just so cool so it kind of sounds like a camaro in a way <laughs> drive throughs yeah, are useless drive. rear seat is terrible i mean you know it's basically subaru's camaro yeah like i'd have to go to drive throughs with my arm kind of like this because the window would be here and you're trying to like do it yeah it was it was yeah. unusual but it, i just love the look and that um 
those flat six and super used to make were so nice. So the transmissions would blow up, but again, it was a 97. So it was a little more sorted out by then. So yeah. Oh, well, do you have one? Um, I mean, not uh, like something that I got rid of. I just wish that in my 20s, I would have saved every penny I possibly could have to buy an Integra Type R before they became stupid money. Uh, as someone who owned a, a regular um, third gen Integra when I was younger, uh, I, I still miss that car. Um, on the, the trip up north two weeks ago, uh, myself and one of my colleagues, we were uh, browsing Bring a Trailer or Kijiji in Canada. We were we were looking everywhere for just clean used Integras, and now even regular models go for a fair amount of money. And so Type Rs are just so far beyond reasonable, and it just makes me sad because I I feel like I'll probably never drive one at this point. So three quick things on that. Mm -hmm. We you, you'll probably know who I'm talking about. But we have a colleague uh, that used to be in PR and has now moved over to Motorsports in a brand that owned a type r in his 20s and i talked to him a couple times uh, a month almost weekly and yeah <laughs> he's still kicking himself for selling it <laughs> when he did because he had bought and sold it before the boom and, and i remember uh when i was in a car club um one of the guys went and traded in the car that we all had and he bought an nsx a first gen well it's the only gen we had in, in on, uh, north america but he yeah. bought a, a first or second year red with a black top like amazing condition and this was probably 20 2010 probably maybe 2009 and he paid oh. like forty thousand for it and we're all like oh it's a lot for a used car but it's nsx we get it like whatever and if he still has it like what an investment over 10 years because that thing's probably you know quadrupled if not more because this was in great shape and yeah. like we were all just in awe looking at it but it's, it's just one of those like good on him for pulling the trigger and they weren't bad i remember when i had my rx8 in the early 2000s like when it, they first came out rx7 fds could be had so cheap relative to what they were like they still cost a lot that's why i got the used rx8 instead of the fd because the rx8 was newer and it was a little cheaper mm -hmm. but the fact they could have ponied up maybe three or four thousand more and got a an rx7 and yeah like what they're worth now like it's insane but you know that's why some of the cars that are around today i'm like hmm, i wonder if that's going to be one and i should try to get one of those and hold on to it but you never know who knew that the 90s Japanese nostalgia would be like Gen X's uh, muscle cars for boomers where they're going for ridiculous money at auctions, like way more than the car is worth for the experience. But it's just the the remembering your youth. So, yep. Yeah. So, yeah. I uh, Thanks for bringing up that question, Mike. And listeners, I'm just going to say it now. Uh, if you have any uh, questions you want to ask us for future podcasts, uh, shoot them our way. We're happy to hear them. Yeah. And we want to hear about the cars that you regret not buying, selling, or <laughs> I have some too, the ones you actually regret buying. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's funny. Someone asked me, like, what car do you regret the most? And whoops, um, I don't know. I don't know. I can't say there's a couple, but I always say the car that gave me the most problems is also one of my favorite. And that was my Arc 8. <laughs> it was so unreliable, but it was so much fun. It was such a good long distance cruiser, uh, minus the gas stops, but it was so comfortable. It was fun. It was good in the winter, like it, yeah. But man, did it break down. Anyway, so moving on to what's next. Uh, while we're talking about Mazda sports cars, yes. I ended up this week with the uh, Miata because I mentioned last week that I had to try to find something new, and it was good because I wanted to see what it's like to use it as a commuter car 
um, not in the summer. So not when you can put the top down because commuter cars are always small and good on gas and somewhat affordable. So this isn't overly affordable, but it's small. It's good on gas. And um, I'll have a full review. It's not as like automatic. Oh, of course, as I thought it would be. There are some drawbacks, but even driving on a highway in like the third largest city in North America in traffic, not moving, I it was still fun. Whereas like not many other cars can do that. So yeah. Yeah. I, I also want to point out to all listeners, because we figured this out a few months ago, that the current Miata is now the most affordable brand new convertible that you can buy. So, you know, if you're looking for top down fun, that's the one that's the, it, it is affordable. It is a, a the crown off of, uh, I think the Mustang and Wrangler are both in the running for quite a while, but I guess they've exceeded that now. Yeah, for both of them for 24, because their updates, uh, they're just more expensive now. So, Kyle, why don't you let people know where you were this week? I know you can't really talk about what you did, or sorry, what you drove, but you can tell them what you did. Well, I can talk about what I drove. I just can't tell you what I thought about driving them. Uh, (laughs) So I went from northern Canada uh, two weeks ago to Portugal last week with BMW to drive the new X2 and then two mini Countryman models, the John Cooper Works and the SE, the electric model. Um, Yeah, so I can't really talk about much more about that other than uh, the roads were very nice. It rained for a little more than we probably would have liked, but it still led to a lot of very pretty photos. And yeah, you're gonna start reading about all of those models starting very soon after this podcast releases and it'll be on a weekly basis. So you will hear about them soon, but unfortunately I can't really tell you much more about that, except I can say that the Mini Countryman SE's interior is so cool. It's uh, full of recycled materials, but there's a really nice knit along the dashboard and doors and it's a, a blue and a brown and it sort of intermingles and changes as it goes from front to back. And so it just, it looks great. There's there's a lot of cool, fun, smile-inducing materials and, and features inside the Mini that only Mini can really pull off, right? Like if any other brand did it, it'd seem kind of try hard, but when Mini does it, you're just like, cool, I like that. Yeah, I mean, I have the Untamed Edition Countryman and I said the same thing. I said, not many cars could pull this off, but since it's a Mini, yeah. And both those, the SE and the X2, I'm looking forward to, because that's sort of like in the wheelhouse of cars that we have. Uh, and the regular Mini I want to drive as well. It's it's funny, though, how you're talking about the recycled materials inside, because back in the day, saying like, oh, the interior is recycled parts, meant like they're just diving into their bin of leftover parts and putting, like, you know, cobbling together some crap interior. But now it actually means real recycled pieces that made new pieces. Oh, no, you're talking about what Tesla does currently with old Chrysler stocks. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm talking about what Jim did in the 90s, too. Uh, and all the Americans were guilty of that. But yeah. All right. So uh, moving on, I, as I've said a couple times, I was at the auto show yesterday, um, Toronto Auto Show. It's the, the largest in Canada. Um, this year, there's actually quite a few Canadian debuts and even global auto show debuts. So like the Infiniti um, QE and the, uh, I can't remember the, the QX80 electric one. I think it's like Monolith or something. Um, we got to see those. Um, the 80s huge, like you'd expect, but kind of cool. I mean, they're, they're just like design study shells. They're not vehicles, but the, the XE has some really cool things to it. So I'm looking forward to sort of how that translates in the end. 
the show itself, some manufacturers came back. There's so much to do in the buildings. Um, this isn't really the new car stuff, but uh, in the basement of the North building, there's a Ferrari display and it mm-hmm. has like, if anyone's even remotely into Ferrari's old cars, oh my God, they have a 288 GTO, an F40, a 308, a 356. Uh, yeah, it's just all just all parked together. And you're just like looking around in this one room. Like I'm standing in, you know, several million dollars worth of Ferraris in this room. And it's really cool. Um, and yeah, um, there's a Tesla Cybertruck. So I got to see one in person and it's as big as I've been told. And it looks as sharp and, you know, it's everything I was told it was. Uh, this may be overly harsh, but I think it could be the next DeLorean. I don't think it's going to kill Tesla or anything, but I don't think it's going to be around too long in its current form. There'll either be a radical redesign or they'll replace it with something. I mean, it, it's cool. They went so crazy with it, but there's a reason no one's tried to do that before. Um, and I know like the owners and fans love it, but that's, I get it. Cause that's, it's a cool car. It's like how I like the SVX, like there's a, a niche for it, but it's, not translating to the mainstream. Um, mm-hmm. He's getting a lot of attention. It's funny. It's parked right across from all the Paganis and McLarens and stuff. So, and there's like this little walkway and I was talking to the guy that's in charge of the, the Pagani McLaren. He's like, this is going to be the worst spot all show because <laughs> everyone's going to be like, stop looking at both sides and no one's going to be able to move. So, yeah. All right. Um, so look ahead, Kyle, you're, you're home for what? Two days and then you're on the road again. Yep. Yep, just like last week. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm home for a little bit. And then actually Sunday, uh, and this is a holiday weekend for us Canadians, but on Sunday, I travel uh, down south again to drive the 2025 Ram 1500. I'm looking forward to it, as we've talked about, I think, before. Uh, trucks are always such an interesting thing because it, it's such a huge market, right? There, There's so much variation for each model. And Ram has done a pretty significant update here. They've dropped the V8. They've brought in a the Hurricane inline six, which we've said before is a great engine. You really enjoyed it recently in the Grand Wagoneer L. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm just very excited to drive it. I've been watching some other journalists head there, and as far as I can tell, we get to do off road and on road. So nice. exciting! Yeah, time. I had the. We had it at the auto show um, to look at the 25 and I spent a lot of time in a 24 Hemi limited this summer. So when it, like, I'm interested, very interested to hear your thoughts and I want to really try when it comes here. I had no problem with the engine, but I just want to see what it's like. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then um, next week, this is a very Mazda intensive episode apparently, but I return my MX five for a CX 30 turbo. Um, which is sort of a return to it. I haven't driven one in a while and that class has exploded, yet it's still one of the very few that offers this kind of power. So I just want to see if it really does stand out and um, how it compares to the regular models. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, Kyle, I, I, sorry, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I really, that's still one of my favorites in that class, but that's because uh, it's my wife and I, we, don't have kids and and I know that the back seat is tight in that so I'm very curious to hear from you what it's like living with for a week as a family yeah um I mean it is tight but it's no cx3 tight it's uh there's others in the segment that are around it but it's obviously it's a performance better it's stylish it's just sort of a little different mm-hmm. and then Kyle when you get back from your trucking you have the last of the of a dying breed it's true. Yeah, we were talking about this recently. The uh, 
the last in segment cars and the 2024 Camry TRD is the last V6 mainstream sedan. Yeah, midsize. Yep. Um, yeah, because yeah, I mean, I'll consider the Maxima midsize or mainstream. It's sort of premium. It's it's always been a little odd, but yeah, and it's yeah, getting there. Yeah, <laughs> the Camry. Um, it's kind of sad because I love that they threw 300 horsepower into a front wheel drive family sedan and gave it those crazy looks. And I, I know it's sort of like NASCAR inspired, which makes sense. But the uh, I, I got up and close with the new car, and it's a decent looking car. But I'm just gonna miss that. That V6 was fun. So yeah, yeah enjoy your last yeah. time with it. I should also probably clarify. Uh, it's the last naturally aspirated V6. I was just thinking about that. And I was like, oh, there's plenty of V6 uh, sedans that size that are turbo and probably luxury models. But but yeah, it's the last. Yeah, mainstream now. Yeah, because uh, the the Koreans dropped it. Um, all the Americans and Mazda don't even make them anymore. I mean, the Malibu's in its final days. The Accord's long gone to, to turbos and hybrids. So yeah, yeah. So okay, well. Yeah, that wraps it up, I guess. So um, thanks for listening to the Auto Guide show brought to you by eBay Motors. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, actually, next week, I think we're going to talk not just about your experiences with the Ram, but we're actually going to have Ram on here to talk about the new truck. So it'll be a very Ram intensive uh, episode. It should be fun. So we'll see you yeah. then. Thank you once again for listening and watching the Auto Guide show brought to you by eBay Motors eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a driveway entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with the eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.